Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, uh, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. series in 1 Corinthians today. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. And uh, I'm excited for two reasons. One, I'm not preaching. And two, uh, Pastor Sean Evans is. And I just want to quickly say this before he comes up to preach. Um, man, Sean is a gift to our church. Like he is, he, he serves as our executive pastor here, really planted Frontline South years ago, one of my best friends. And just his, his vision for the city, his vision and heart for our church the ways that he makes us as a church better, the ways he makes our facility better. is just a gift. So I love you. Thank you for serving us so well. Um, hey, would you stand today as a symbol of our desire to be under the word of God? The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 24. The word of God speaks to us. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send some who you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. As I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, Write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O oh Lord, come. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Bethany. Good morning. Good to be with you all. I like how Andrew softened the blow of like, you're going to get the B-team preacher today, but he's a cool guy. Thanks, man. Love you. Hey, it's good to be with you guys. It's true. We are absolutely completing. We're turning the page. Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians today, we, we have been in this book since last August, one year that we've been doing this together. And uh, man, I'm grateful for the ways that God has used it in, in the life of this church. And today, uh, we're closing our time by looking at all of chapter 16. That might feel like a lot. There is a lot going on there. We're not doing that because we're on some kind of one-year deadline and we just need to crash the plane. We really, as we looked at this, um, just felt that there are uh, so many things that go together that uh, Paul is trying to communicate that we're going to tackle this today and we're going to wrap it up today. So uh, there are some beautiful things. I really love this passage because it's really personal and it's really practical. These are words that are written not necessarily directly to us, but we believe that they are certainly written for us and for our benefit and for the benefit of the church at large. So, hey, let me pray for us, and then we'll see how God would shape our time in this passage together. God, we first start by just saying how grateful we are for your word. We look back at the last year and the ways that you have used the words of this book to shape us, to challenge us, to correct us. God, we thank you for the ways that you've taught us to love one another deeper. We, we thank you for the ways that you've taught us to love you more deeply, to hear from God the Holy Spirit, and to love his voice. We're grateful, God, for all the ways that you've challenged us, all the ways that you've worked in us through this. And I just pray, God, as we close this book, I pray that as we turn this page, you would seal all of that work inside of us. Seal what you've done in this church and in this body. And I pray that today, even as we look at these last few words, you would teach us, you would shape us, you would come and you would work deeply in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So hey, a quick bit of my story. Um, in 2009, I was working as an art director, graphic designer for Hobby Lobby Corporate just down the road uh, as a, as a uh, corporate employee. That was my full-time job, and I had a blast doing it. The job that I got to do was I got to lead a team that designed all of the packaging and the brands. You know, you go into a Hobby Lobby store and there's like all these different brands of all these, you know, different types of products. I don't know if you know this, but all that stuff is designed in-house. And I was getting to lead the team that was doing the branding and the packaging. Super fun, super great job, super great family and company to work for. Everything that we did, we knew was contributing to Kingdom Work because it's a, it's a great Christian company. And honestly, I just thought, I'm going to do this forever. But I was also simultaneously going through leadership training. I was going through eldership development. And the goal was that I was probably just going to be like an, a, a bivocational leader or elder in the church. And I would get to continue doing this amazing work for this amazing company. And man, they, they treated us well. Like we had a, an incredible like New York City style graphic design studio that they built us. It was like brick, reclaimed brick and steel and glass. Beautiful place to go to work every day. And I find myself in my glass office, and all I can think about is the stuff that God is doing in ministry, 
The stuff that we're experiencing God do at Frontline on Thursday nights at City Rescue Mission, seeing a long line of people that are coming out of homelessness go through the waters of baptism, seeing people have addictions broken, seeing marriages get put back together, seeing people come to faith in Jesus, all I can think about as I'm sitting there trying to do my job. And uh, for me, like I, I had spent about 20 years probably at that point under the just really faithful Bible teaching of my own dad. And at some point in my childhood, I don't know when, it'd been years and years past, I remember hearing him quote this old Puritan poem by this guy C.T. Studd. And the refrain goes like this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it just like burst out of my guts, like into my, uh, into my heart and into my mind from the back of my memory. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about all the things that Jesus is doing. And, um, and I'm like, I got to get out of here. I know I got to go. And, and on, the, on the ride home, I remember I called my wife and I called Pastor Josh and I said, hey, I think it's time for me to get out of here. And it was crazy because we weren't expecting God to do that at all. And I tell you that story not because I think like if you grab a hold of that truth, all of us are called to pastor. That's not true. But I, I tell you that because I think it will drive some of us to pastor. It will drive some of us to go work and do, do things for the kingdom in the city. Some of you, it will mean that you need to move, move toward uh, being a teacher. Some of you doctors, some of you attorneys, some of you coaches, some of you staying at home to teach your little ones. Today, as we get to this last bit of this book, we get to the end of this letter, Paul has something of significance to say to us about making our lives count. Uh, we get to this part of the book, we get to the end of the chapter, and it's easy for us to go, all right, these are just kind of, he's just getting to like these goodbye pleasantries, he's giving them some final instructions, all, all that stuff's for them, we can go ahead and move on to the next place. Not so fast. Not so fast. That's not what's happening here. When the Corinthians got this letter, um, this wasn't like a postscript from dad. You know, dad's leaving town and he goes, hey, don't forget to take out the trash. Please don't miss trash day again. Um, please remember to change the oil, cut the grass, all that stuff. That's not what's happening. When the Corinthians got this letter, they just read the whole thing. They didn't have like a big 14 and a 15 and a 16 uh, out beside the text. They read the whole thing and they received it. And the point, the whole point of what we've read this morning, I believe, comes from the verse that we read at the end of chapter 15. I would argue it would be really great for this to actually be verse 1 of the beginning of chapter 16. And this is what it says. 1558. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Last week, we got the why of abounding in the Lord. You remember? Death will be swallowed up in victory. We will be raised with Christ. Today, Paul is going to do what he does in all of his writings, where he takes us from these beautiful, sweeping, uh, high-flying truths about what it is to know God and what it is to to, to love and obey Jesus and how that changes all of life. He's going to take us all the way from 50,000 feet down to ground level obedience. And he's going to help us to see a few things related to the what and the how 
of abounding in the work of the Lord. Three things that we're going to see that I want to show you really quickly, and then we're going to get to the beautiful benediction that he leaves us with quickly today. We're going to talk about abounding in the Lord as giving. We're going to talk about abounding in the Lord in planning, and we're going to talk about abounding in the work of the Lord through relationships that he's given us, all right? So really quickly, uh, go, go with me back to verse one. We're going to talk about giving as a means of abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. All right. So a few things that I want us to tackle really quickly just in these first few verses about giving. Andrew Wilson has helpfully categorized Paul's reminder to give in his little commentary called First Corinthians to You, and he gives us four principles that this breaks down to. First thing, I want to take you through these. One, he shows us the priority of giving. The first thing he points out is that this is actually a part of the spiritual disciplines of the, the people of God on the Lord's day. He says, on the first day of the week, put something aside. This is Paul calling for us to make it a priority. A couple of things that this points us to. One, it was standard practice for all of the New Testament churches to continue the mandate that came from the Old Testament to set aside one-tenth of everything that God had given you, whether it was harvest or a paycheck, one-tenth of it, you were to first set it aside and use it for the collection on the Lord's Day. So we, we know that they are continuing this, this operation of one-tenth. This is where we get our our word tithe, not of what was left over after the groceries were paid for and after the bills were paid. This is your first fruit. Set that stuff aside. And then also, we do it on the Lord's Day, the first day, as a means of participating in worship. Uh, giving is not something, as Andrew just said a few moments ago, giving is not something that we do that's separated from our worship, but it's part of it. Maybe you've been uh, with us uh, on Sundays a few times now, or maybe you've heard in another church somebody stand up and say something similar. Hey, we're going to continue worship with our giving. We're going to call you to give radically, generously, and sacrificially. If you're hearing that and you're like, yeah, right, this is not part of worship. This is just the corporate thing that you guys do. You call us to give to help pay the utility bills around here. One, why are you so emo if you feel that way? <laughs> like, Stop it. That's not true. That too, that is not what is happening here. If that's what you think, Paul would disagree with you. All of the New Testament churches would disagree with you. And the church for the last several hundred years would disagree with you. This has always been a spiritual discipline of God's people on the Lord's Day. I want to show you something from the Heidelberg Catechism. This was written in 1563. This is what we have been rehearsing. This is what we have been practicing, teaching ourselves, teaching our kids about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And there's a question, question 103, talks about the purpose of gathering on the Lord's day. And here's the response. I diligently attend the assembly of God's people. Here we are. To learn what God's word teaches. That's what we're doing right now. To participate in the sacraments. So 
the, the Lord's table and baptism, as we did last week, we're participating in those things to pray to God publicly. That's what we did just a few moments ago when we prayed together for teachers and schools and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. This has always been a part of it. From the beginning, this was a spiritual discipline practiced when the church gathers together. When we give, hey, what we're doing is we're giving to the one who's most generous. We're remembering everything already belongs to him. We're giving back to him, uh, partaking in his heart to be a generous people. And then we're embodying more of the heart of God when we remember, hey, we were the people that were desperate. We were the people that were needy, and God moved toward us, and he gave us everything that we needed in Christ. So we take what we have, and we embody his heart, and we say, hey, we want to we practice generosity in our church and in our city and in our world. What does it look like? What, is, what does that look like? Can I just say, like, just a handful of things that come to mind really automatically. It's a holy thing for us as a church to rally around a married couple who says, hey, we're, we're struggling. Things are really hard in our marriage right now. We really need some gospel-centered, licensed biblical counseling, but we can't afford it. Could the church help us? We rally around them, and we send them, and we say, go. And get the help that you need, and we're going to be right here to process that when you're ready. It's a holy thing for us to participate in that. Did you see the picture last week as we served the families over at Houchin Elementary? It's a holy thing for a sweet little girl to show up to school on the first day and not feel unprepared or embarrassed that she didn't have what she needed. It's a holy thing to put a smile on a kid's face like that with just a backpack, with just a backpack, and to send her to school feeling the love of God and the dignity that he intended for her. It's a holy thing when we bring our friends up on the stage and we say, we love these guys, but we're sending them to the other side of the world because we believe that the glory of God being known in Mumbai matters. These are things that we rally around together and they're holy things. This is what we're doing when we give uh, together. And, And finally, we're warring against our own flesh and selfishness. It's a holy thing for us to say, I'm going to give, and it's going to remind me that I'm not the center of the universe. It's going to help me to to see God rightly. It's going to help me to see the world rightly and remember that it's not all about me. God has put me here to be a blessing and embodiment of who he is and a picture of what he has done. So the first thing is, hey, Paul is saying giving on the Lord's day is a priority. The second thing that he shows us is the possibility of giving. Look what he says. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up. Each of you points us to the call of everyone to give whatever they're able to contribute to the offering of God. Hey, we're not going to do this thing where 10% of the people give to the mission of God and everybody else just kind of watches the super Christians work. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. It's actually not about the money. Did you know, did you know that? Because it's not about the money. Um, God is not right now stressed about whether or not the kingdom of heaven is able to make budget. He's not. If you have questions about that, look at what Psalm 50 says. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. He already owns everything. He already owns it all. So when we have this call to give, 
there's this invitation for everybody to participate as a, as a means of showing the posture of your heart, big or small, whatever your offering might be, what matters is what is the posture of your heart to come to God with your hands open, the one who already owns everything. We've had wealthier people in our church or maybe somebody gets an inheritance and they're able to give really, really, you know, something that we would say is big and it's beautiful. It goes to something wonderful and we see the kingdom of God advance. But also there have been times where our offering count team comes to me and they're like, hey, there were food stamps in the offering today. We don't know what to do with that. Hey, both of those offerings are really beautiful in the sight of God if the, if the posture of their heart is gratitude and sacrifice. Third thing to see about giving, the proportionality of giving. He says, each of you should give, but he also says, as God has prospered you. Some give more, some give less, all of it matters, but we're to give in proportion to what God has entrusted to us. If you're someone that God has entrusted more to in this season, let me just ask you, do you see that as yours? Do you see that as like, hey, God gave me this so that I would enjoy life more? Or do you see that as like a stewardship issue where you go, God has given me more. Maybe that means I'm entrusted with more to be able to be a blessing to more people. If you're someone that is in a financial season that really is hard right now, I want to ask you, hey, are you somebody who's able to receive from your brothers and sisters, or are you hiding right now that you have needs? We're a family. We're supposed to be doing this together. There have been times in our church where people have been so convicted, and they'll come to us broken, and we can tell that financially they're in a really, really tough spot. And as we start to process with them why they're so convicted and why they're so broken, it's not because they're in a tough spot financially and it's hard for their family. It's because they're like, I just know that the kingdom of God is worthy to give more than I can give right now. And we're like, hey, is it possible that maybe this is a time for you to receive from the rest of your family? Is there a time for you to maybe back off and maybe receive because you're a part of a family? Conversely, there have been times where people are really successful in business and, uh, and we see all the ways that God is prospering them and you look back, look, you know, kind of from a distance and you can tell these are people that just don't see it as God's money. They see it as like, hey, at the end of the month, what I'll probably do is give a tip to God and I'll be able to throw in a little bit. And we've had to sit those people down and go, hey, don't forget, God has prospered you not for your, for your own benefit but actually for the blessing and the benefit of others. We're to give proportionally according to the ways God has prospered us. Last thing I want us to see that Andrew Wilson gives in his commentary, the practicality of giving. He says on the first day, verse 2, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. I love this. Paul is super spiritual sometimes, and sometimes he's just really practical, like a parent who's trying to plan ahead. He's like, hey, could, we, could you just go ahead and set that aside? So when I get there, I don't want to have to, you know, I don't want to have to do a telethon or go knocking on doors. Like, I just, I want, I want you guys to do the right things so that when I get there, there's no coercion, there's no heavy handedness. And then he goes on to talk about how, how they're going to they're gonna choose people that are vetted, people that are trusted to carry the offering to Jerusalem. And he's like, if I got to go with them, I'll go with them. We do whatever we, we got to do, but we want to make sure that, that those funds and that money is used properly. It's practical. 
Um, here at Frontline, the way that we, we walk this out is we have a, a finance council. These are trusted men and women across all of our congregations that help us to look at what God is doing, to look at our revenue, to look at the way that we're spending, and help us to see that we're doing that in a God-honoring way. And we have a really strict budgeting process that we walk through every year. And I'm telling you, it's strict. Like once we set it, we're, we do everything we can to stick to it. We've got executive pastors in each of our congregations that are helping oversee the finances to make sure that every single dime and dollar that we that we bring in that we possibly can goes toward the work of serving the poor and planting and strengthening more churches. If you've been with us for any time, if you've drank our coffee, if you've used our toilet paper, you probably have an idea. We ain't fancy. <laughs> we, we're running a lean ship. That's what we're trying to do around here. So he gives us this words on the practicality of giving. And I just want to say like, He's not giving us a teaching on generosity in general. That, w- that will come, and that does come. And, and hey, like as Christians, I hope you're generous people in our city. I hope you're tipping waiters really well. I hope you're getting involved in the work of nonprofits in our city. We should do all that. That's not what he's talking about here, though. He's talking about giving of your first fruits to the work of the kingdom through the local church on the Lord's Day. That matters. And we, we got we to gotta go for it there before we go for it anywhere else. And so just a pastoral prayer as we move on to the next thing, Frontline South, as we turn the page in this book of 1 Corinthians, may we be a people by God's grace who are radically generous to the work of God in our church, in our city, around the world, caring deeply for the poor and those in need among us, staying engaged in the work of church planning and strengthening and diligently raising up leaders for the mission of God that will outlast all of us. Amen. Two other things quickly, ways that we abound in the work of the Lord, and then we're going to get to this benediction. The second thing is planning, planning. Look at verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. Hey, one of the things that sticks out to me about this is we have spent 15 chapters rebuking. We've seen this rebuke from Paul, 15 chapters of him just giving him rebuke after rebuke after rebuke. And we get to the end, and he's like, I sure love you guys. I can't wait to see you. <laughs> we see his love for these people. And he's, wanting, he's, he's talking about wanting to come to them, but there's this tension in his writing between making plans and trusting the sovereignty of God. Look at the words that he uses. I intend, and perhaps, I hope, if the Lord permits. Hey, the older I get, the more I understand language like this. Like when I was younger and I would hear like my parents' friends and my grandparents' friends say like, if the Lord wills, brother, or, you know, the really old people would say, um, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. And I was always like, what? You guys are weird. Why do you use this weird religious language about if the Lord? Hey, the older I get, the more I understand that. 
The older I get, the more my own plans have been squashed again and again. God has done things that I don't understand. There have been times that God has actually opposed my plans for reasons that I'm like, God, I just don't even understand what you're doing. The amount of times that God has changed my plans and actually uh, actually protected me from my own foolishness or given me something better than what I hoped for are many. And I've gotten to the place where I'm just, I'm ready and willing. I've learned to plan my own life, my family's, my, my, my ministry, all of that goes in pencil because I just don't know what God's going to do. And, and, and the truth of it is when we see what Paul has written, even in 1 Corinthians 16, we understand that even what he was planning was not what happened. <laughs> um, if the Apostle Paul's plans can get changed by God, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable to just have my hands open, to just go like, I don't know what he's going to do. What we know about what he's just written here is that it didn't happen that way. And we know that from putting the, the puzzle together from Acts and the book of 2 Corinthians, that actually what happens is Timothy does come, and when he comes to the church in Corinth, they're like swinging from the chandeliers. They're totally wilding out again, and he leaves quickly, and he tells Paul. Paul shows up, rebukes him sharply, and then he leaves abruptly, and then he goes back and he writes another letter to the Corinthian church, and it gets delivered by way of Titus. And we don't even have that letter anymore. Um, that, that is another letter written to the Corinthian church that we don't have. But what we know is that some measure of repentance takes place after that letter. And then he writes to them again the book that we know of as 2 Corinthians. And he writes to them and he's like, hey, when I showed up, it was really painful. That was not what I was planning. His plans get changed. And we just see even in him writing, it's like, my hands are open He's, he's willing and he's encouraging us to open our eyes up to God's plans above our own. Look at the next couple of verses quickly. I love this. Verse 8, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Did you catch that? <laughs> God is working. People are meeting Jesus. Powerful things are happening, and it is extremely difficult. It feels like warfare, and it feels like pushback, and it feels like division, and it feels like hardship. And if you know anything about the pattern of the Bible, this is the way things go. When God is working, the adversary, the enemy, is pushing back on anybody who's even in the vicinity of God doing what he's doing. I love that we, we have a saying where we say like, you know, people say, when God closes a door, brother, he opens a window. Hey, the apostle Paul's like, the reason that I know God is working is because the door is open and people are trying to like slam my head in it again and again. It feels really hard. They're trying to close the door. They're trying to kick me out. That's how I know God is working here. And I just want to say like, as the pastors of this church right now, we're just kind of in a sober-minded place as we think about the next season because God is really moving among us. God is really moving among us. Um, did you know that in, in, uh, in uh, the last four weeks alone, we baptized more people than we baptized all of last year? Hey, like, we should pay attention to that. <laughs> yeah, we should celebrate that, and we should pay attention to that. Did you know that last Sunday we had more people? We had over 520-something people gather with us 
on Sunday, more than we've had since pre-COVID. Like God is doing something new. We're seeing more people gathering in community groups than ever have before. We have more trusted deacons and leaders serving in this church than we ever have. And so these are celebrations, but also they're reminders we have an adversary, and when things start to turn difficult, we should open up our eyes a little wider, where our ears should perk up a little bit more, because we should be ready to hear what is the next thing that God is doing. When things take a turn for the difficult, sometimes it's just a sign that God is, God's hand is on us, and we just need to hear that. We need to receive that. So my friends, a pastoral prayer, as we turn the page on 1 Corinthians, may we be a people that recognize that pushing back darkness sometimes means that the darkness will push back. May we be a people who take the truth about what we know of the gospel and make really bold plans. And may we we be a people who have our hearts and our hands open to what God is doing, knowing that he knows better and his plans will always be right and good, even when it's different than how we thought things would go. Amen? Third thing, and then we'll move on to this benediction. He talks to us about the work of the Lord abounding through relationships. He gives us this clear picture of what we should learn from relationships within the church and also relationships across churches with one another. Go back to verses one through three. This is amazing and so fun to see. Churches in Galatia and Corinth, at the very least, are partnering together to serve and bless the church in Jerusalem. And then in verse 10, he says, when Timothy comes, Timothy is an elder in the Ephesian church, and and, and he's saying, he's going to come to Corinth, and he's going to serve you for a period of time. When he comes, put him at ease, receive him, don't give him a hard time, he's doing the work of the Lord along with me. And then in verse 19, we keep reading, we see more evidence of this, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. It's just such a clear picture of like these people were in relationship with one another. He he says Aquila and Prissa. I love that because he shortens her name. We know if you read the book of Acts, we see Aquila and Priscilla multiple times named. And uh, when you shorten someone's name, it just means like you love them and you know them, you're close to them. And I, and I love that he, he does that, and he talks about all of the greetings that they're being sent. This is what we want as a church. We want communion with other churches. This is why we're planting congregations. This is why we have five congregations across our city. This is why we're sending and releasing our very best leaders to the other side of the country and the other side of the world, to places like Fayetteville, North Carolina, to places like Iowa, to places like Mumbai, India. This is what we're after. We're working together right now um, to strategically think about what it would mean for, for God to plant a congregation or a church in Midwest City, Dell City, one in Norman, one in Guthrie. This is what we're after. And I love it when I get a phone call and it's Blake Burrow or it's, or it's John Murphy, somebody in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and they go, hey man, we could use some help. Could you come here for a week? Could you come and would you speak with our leaders? Would you come and would you preach? Could we spend some time with you? Next, next month, Andrew's going to get to go to Iowa. 
God willing, I would love for, for at least I want to go uh, to Mumbai in the next couple of years. I would love for some of our leaders to get to go over there, see what God is doing, and try to mutually encourage them. We love getting to be a part of kingdom relationships. They're such a blessing to us. It's something that we want to fight for. We just believe that we can do more for the kingdom together than we can separately, autonomously. We can rely on one another for help and support along the way. And honestly, guys, to be a part of this team, I just want to say it's one of the most beautiful things that we get to do is to get to serve with other churches, to get to mutually bless and encourage one another. But also, he talks about relationships within the church. Um, and, and we don't have a ton of time to, you know, what he says is, he says, uh, you know, you know that the household of Stephanus, and, and he talks about the, the, the uh, leaders there. And man, I would love to spend more time there. I tried in the nine, and I just didn't have it in me. But what, what's really beautiful and encouraging to me about this is he spent all this time rebuking this church, and he gets to this place, and he doesn't say, hey, about the leaders, let's cancel them. <laughs> They're awful. They've done a terrible job. Let's transfer in some new good leaders. He doesn't do that. He's like, hey, would you just look at their lives? Would you imitate their way of life? Hey, would you receive them? Would you obey them? Would you s- submit to them? I love that. And then he gets to this other thing that he says uh, when he's talking about relationships inside the church. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You ever read that before and you're like, what on earth is he talking about? Why were they greeting each other with a holy kiss? Is this something we're supposed to do? Like some really, you know, that would be really weird if we just started that right now. If somebody in your community group was like, hey, the Bible says we're supposed to kiss each other. Come tell us that guy's weird. And he does not, he does not need to be in that group. But here, here's what I want to say. Like what is going on? A kiss of peace was this Roman cultural sign of respect and honor for another person. So in this culture, kissing a, a person as a greeting wasn't strange. It would kiss each other on, on the cheek. And what it meant was, I'm showing you a sign that I see you as my equal. So if I have a certain status of wealth, a certain status that I'm trying to uphold, and I see you as my equal, I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to honor you by greeting you in this way. And if, and if you're somebody who I see as below me, and below my status, you have a, a lower status, I'm certainly not going to greet you in the same way. Why is Paul telling the church to do this? That's a weird thing that seems divisive, right? No, this is what he says. Greet one another. Greet, greet one another in the church. Everyone can greet one another the same way. Why? Because in Jesus, we don't have a status. There's nobody that's higher. There's nobody that's lower. In Jesus, we've all been made the same. And so we're supposed to greet one another in this way, the kiss of peace. And then also, when they came together on the Lord's Day, they would greet one another with this kiss of peace. And it was this horizontal um, exchange where they would greet one another and they would just ask one another. It was a way of, of passing the peace to one another before they came to the Lord's table. It was a way that they could make sure, is there any reconciliation Is there any, God has made us the same in Jesus. We're brothers and sisters. Is there any beef? Is there anything that needs to get worked out before we come and together we receive the body and the blood of Christ? This is not something that we're going to start doing. And I want to give you a surprise. It's something that we actually already do. When we turn to one another 
on the Lord's Day, we greet each other. We say, peace of Christ be with you and also with you. It's us moving towards one another as brothers and as sisters. We remember that God has made his family. He's brought us near to himself and near to one another as brothers and sisters. This is the way Paul is encouraging us to greet one another on the Lord's Day. Remember, hey, there's no status among us. There's nobody higher. There's nobody lower. Together we're family. And then finally, so he instructs us in giving, planning, and relationships. We finally, we come to this benediction, this blessing. Verse 21, Paul, I write this greeting with my own hand. I love that. Like he, you know, Sylvanus has been scribing the whole thing for him. And he's like, let me get the pen. I just got to write a few things myself. I want to greet these people. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. My love with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. So what he shows us here is that truth and love are not incompatible, but they actually go together. We've had 15 chapters of instruction on how to faithfully hear the voice of God and to obey. And Paul is like, hey, if there's anyone there that still wants to reject Jesus, just know that person is cursed. But he follows it up with these words in verse 24, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Truth and love are not incompatible. Proverbs 27 says it clearly this way, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Please believe this. Man, we have got to be the kind of people and we have got to have the kind of people in our lives that will be honest with us, that will move to the tension with us, not the kind of people that are just like addicted to drama and conflict that only live on Facebook. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying the kind of people that you know love you enough that they will come to you and they will say the hard things when you need to hear it. And they're the people that have the relationship in your life that you're not going to hang up the phone and you're not going to close the door because you know that they're after your heart. We need those kind of people in our lives and we need to be those kind of people in one another's lives. After all the hard things that have been said, knowing that there are more hard things to come, he knows that he's got more letters to write, more visits to, to have with these people. These relationships will be lifelong. He will not give up on these people, but will continue giving his life to love and serve them, even when it means saying the really hard things in truth. And then he finishes the same way that he begins. You remember where we started this letter a year ago? Grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. He finishes the same way, even with all the demands that this book and the rest of Scripture has on our lives. Our lives are to be bookended, just like 1 Corinthians, with grace at the beginning, grace at the end, and grace all the way through. I, I'm thinking this morning about that line in Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that brought me safe this far, and grace is the thing that's going to bring me home. My friends, it's been said that we are right now living in between those two places. Grace that's brought us safe this far. Grace that will bring us home. So Frontline South, as we turn the page on this letter and on this series, may we be people who view our relationships as God-ordained interactions 
with others, carrying the very image of our creator. May we embrace the difficulty of relationship, gladly submit to one another and to the leaders God has given to serve us. May the place we strive to outdo one another only be in showing honor. And may this benediction shape our lives that as we encounter one another, our relationships would start and end and be dripping all the way in between with grace. As we close our time in this letter from God's word, may we hear and obey the call together to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Amen? Hey, let's stand up together. I want to remind you, as we strive toward abounding in the work of Jesus together, this is not something that we do in our own strength. We have been given a meal as a reminder. He is sustaining us with his, his very body and his blood. As you come today, followers of Jesus, take the bread, take the cup, gather together with one another in groups and remember and encourage each other to abound in the work of the Lord, not with your own strength, but with the strength that the Spirit of God supplies. Amen? If you're not a follower of Jesus, hey, we're so glad you're here. Um, it, it, it would not be weird for you to not come take this meal. It will actually be weird if you do come take this meal because this is a meal of faith for those that have said, all of my life is hidden in Christ. For those that have come in faith and been baptized, hey, if that's something you want to talk about, we would love to talk to you today. You're free to come. You're free to gather in these circles, but please don't take this meal because it's a meal of faith. Watch what we're doing. Listen to what we're saying and just know when you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we would love to talk to you about that. There's going to be some prayers that are up on the screen that I think will be helpful to followers of Jesus. Come and celebrate the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus broken and shed for you. Come and receive again fresh grace for the journey. All right. When you're ready, come.